friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a storytelling collective that invites women back to their bodies and into a world where we belong with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. Welcome back to Beauty the Interviews. Thank you for your patience with our slightly lengthy hiatus. We have just a few episodes left in this Survivor series. I can't really think of a better episode to welcome us back than this episode today. So trigger warning for today's episode, we're going to talk about experiences of sexual violence and some spiritualized trauma. Today we welcome to the mic, Rachel. Uh, Rachel has a powerful story, first encountering sexual violence when she was a child and disclosing that to some of the people who were in power. Um, And she was very much silenced in that process. Uh, made in many ways to believe that it was her fault. And Rachel talks about the parts of her temperament then that sort of evolved out of that place of believing that it was all her fault. She goes on to tell details of an abusive marriage and some sexual violence within that, which is also very powerful. I think we often believe that sexual violence uh, is something that we experience outside of relationship, but Rachel tells a powerful story about how we experience it inside of relationships at times too. But ultimately, the thing that I think you'll love most is Rachel's healing when she gets uh, through many years of um, awakening and sits up in bed one day and says, I just realized that I'm whole again. But I don't want to take all of Rachel's thunder, so stick with us, if you will, and let's drop in and hear from the brave and the beautiful Rachel. So this is Rachel, and Rachel and I have, uh, like many of my guests, we've sort of intersected at different places for different reasons in the community. And then a few weeks ago, after having listened to some of the season of Survivors, Rachel reached out to me and said, hey, I'd really like to tell my own story, and I haven't told it before uh, publicly, and I'd like to do it on your podcast, which is maybe the greatest compliment that we could be paid, um, that Rachel's heard enough of what we're doing to know that we'll hold her story um, with some honor and safety and all of those things. So thank you for that compliment, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks for being willing to share your story with us today. So I am going to start the way I start every interview by asking you what you think it means to be a survivor. So I just pulled up the dictionary definition to see what the dictionary had to say about it because I think survivor means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Webster's New Edition says, a person who continues to live despite nearly dying. Mm. Or a person who is able to continue living their life successfully despite experiencing difficulties. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, sometimes that's kind of how it feels. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. <laughs> this situation is so bad. I'm going to die. But a survivor says, well, looks kind of bad. But I guess we've got to figure out a way to go on. Mm-hmm. I didn't die. Right. I didn't die. So let's figure out how to put this back together. Yes. And get back to your life. Man, that's the truth. When I think about the the darker places in my own life and the trauma and things, there is this thing that's happening in you that you're going, all of that fear is screaming, like, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And then you don't. (laughs) And not that I necessarily wanted to, but there is something about the experience then of realizing I have to live with this now, right? 
Right. And it's that, I think. It's right. the carrying My that My story's not done. Yeah. I've got to get, pick up and keep going. Yeah, that's really good. I think that's what a survivor does. Yeah. So tell us, that's a perfect segue, um, start wherever you'd like and share your own story of survival in as much or as little detail as you're comfortable sharing. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> I don't know, I haven't like eloquently thought about how to say this, it's okay. but... <laughs> we don't need eloquent, I promise. You can just be choppy or whatever. I promise I'll draw a thread through yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. okay. So um, I think I was nine. I don't remember exactly how old it. I think I was nine. Um, my parents were split up again because they split up and got back together several times when I was little. Mm-hmm. This was one of the times they were separated again. Mm-hmm. And my mom worked in surgery, so she had a very demanding, busy job mm-hmm. and was on call a lot. And we lived with her, um, so we had a babysitter, mm-hmm. you know, because she never knew when she was going to get called in or not. It was like she was on call like three days a week, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. So I had a babysitter who also was a teacher at the very small Christian school where we went. Mm. So, you know, should have been perfect babysitter, you know, and everything. And I remember her, I just remember her as being nice, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, I mean, she was fine. Um, She had a teenage son Mm. who, you know, became her, it was myself and my brother, you know, he was kind of our buddy, mm-hmm. you know, and he would kind of hang out with us. And he started this tickling game, mm-hmm. you know, so of course it was funny because we were getting tickled, you know. So, and then, yeah, there came the day, like, then he like tickled like underneath, mm-hmm. you know, my breast. And it was like, oh, oh sorry, you know, didn't, you know, and then just like one day it just full on grabbed. Mm-hmm. It was just like, and I'm like, uh, dude. <laughs> and he, but again, you know, he was my buddy. I didn't, I, you know, was always taught to be sweet and kind and didn't want to say anything. And oh my gosh, that's so good. Freeze that for a second. That that is the, that is the expectation for girls is that you are sweet and kind and you don't make anybody around you uncomfortable, right? Exactly. Exactly. I have Southern roots. Um, both oh. of my parents are from the South. So that's all I really remember my grandma saying to me as we left, because we'd go down to Louisiana several times a year, every year to go visit her. And we get ready to leave, and we give her a hug and a kiss goodbye, and she'd be like, okay, Rachel, be sweet. Be sweet. That's what I remember every wow. single time um, of what she said to me. So I was always very sweet and mm. kind. You know, I, I followed directions well at that time. Mm. Not so much now, but at that point in time. <laughs> <laughs> at nine. Yeah. I was still feeling pretty compliant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so the tickling game, you know, just progressed more and more until one day, you know, yeah, his hand was up underneath my skirt. And I'm just kind of like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, well, we're just, we're still playing the game. It's just a little bit different now. Mm. And I'm like, okay, it's kind of weird, but okay. Um, again, you know, just very compliant still at this point. <clears throat> and then I, you know, memory kind of goes in and out. And, and I kind of remember one day we were standing, we we're in their living room standing at the window looking outside I was looking outside at the yard at grass and flowers and stuff and yeah he walked up behind me and just slipped his hand underneath my skirt Mm. and and he whispered in my ear and he's like I wish I could do it to you Mm. and I said yeah me too but I had no idea what it was of course you know I I'm just like yeah me too you know what yeah okay 
Um, and then somehow, actually, I, my memory is foggy. I don't actually remember how somebody found out about it, but somebody noticed mm. um, that this was, was starting to become a common thing. Are you um, the foggy memory piece? I'm sure you are aware now, but that is mm-hmm. a really common response to trauma. Right. The way our brain protects us from the details. Right. Because uh, we don't necessarily need to know, right? Right. Is that hard for you? Do you wish that there was more clarity? Or are you good with, like, the foggy? I'm good with foggy. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm, in some, I'm the same way. I'm like, yeah. I'm like I'll yeah. know what I need to know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm good with not knowing every detail. I'm, I'm cool with that. So somebody noticed. So somebody noticed. Um, and then this is where, to me, it's kind of like the really messed up part. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I was in a very small Christian school, and he was the son of the teacher that was mm-hmm. there. So I got called into the pastor's office, the principal's office, and was told that it was all my fault. I'm currently suppressing rage. <laughs> Yes. I was told that if, yeah, if I, you know, had never, you know, like let my skirt come up above my knees or, you know, looked at him a certain way or something like that, that this would not have happened. I actually um, was suspended a couple days from school and got paddled by the principal. Against a very small school, he still had a paddle hanging on the wall behind his desk. Yes. I want to get in my car. <laughs> he doesn't live in the area anymore. Okay, well, it's okay. I can go find him. I, um, it's, so I think I've shared this with the audience before. I don't preview stories before people share them with me. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important that I don't because it allows for, uh, there, I don't want anything to be rehearsed about it. And I've heard a lot of stories. Um, so I'm usually able to just sort of, not feel this visceral rage (laughs) right this second and it's probably because it's connected to my own story about the ways that religion can be damaging um Mm -hmm. the structures and the people in the structures can use power um to silence people and so Mm -hmm. um the underneath my rage is a tremendous amount of sorrow and um because that just breaks my heart that that little girl thought she did something wrong right yeah so yeah so then Basically, that little girl went on to believe for years and years and years, like probably 30 at least, um, that anything bad happened to her was her fault. Mm. You know, because, well, principal said it was my fault, so obviously it was. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's life. Well, it's also so. shitty. Well, <laughs> that's <laughs> shitty. That part's pretty shitty. Okay? It is. Um, <laughs> Okay, so... And it led to a lot of bad decisions. Of course. But... Okay, so... um, Were your parents aware? Yes. They got called into the principal's office as well. Okay. Um, Well, I don't remember my dad being there. I remember my mom being there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember, like, I was supposed to go, like, you know, sit off to the side or whatever and not listen. But, you know, of course, I was kind of listening. And, and again, I remember whispers of them saying, you know, well, I wonder, you know, if they actually did it or whatever. And I still had no idea what it was. <clears throat> and you were nine? I was nine. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, again, the, the yeah. details are just vaguely 
um, foggy, but I believe I was around nine. And so again, our in our bio biology class and you know things like that in that school, we were basically told that yeah, men and women got married and they lived together. And whenever God was ready for you to have a baby, He put one in your tummy. Oh, that was our so sex really ed. solid biology class. Yes, too. yes. Of course you didn't. Oh, know what I did it not. Was. I did not know what it was until I was twenty-one. Wow. I had no clue. And that was only because my best friend had gotten married and she who also didn't know what it was. And she called me and she's like, Rachel, it was awful. Yeah. Because again, he didn't know what it was either. And so they're just trying to figure, figure it, out. it out. And it was not good. And so then I was like petrified for like three years to let any guy touch me. Of course. <laughs> I'm like, she said it was awful. Don't even come close to me. I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it's it's it, messed up, but, but it's yeah, but like if you don't if you don't find some like right because it's so right absurd that it, that it that, totally is. Wow. Okay. So yes. So your parents find out, and right. there's like whispers, and it's all the right. shame heaped on you. Mm-hmm. Did you still have to interact with him? Like, what yes. happened? As far as I know, he got nothing. He didn't get any sort of money because he was the teacher's son. Mm -hmm. So, of course, and, and again, that the, the culture that I grew up in is all very based on, you know, everything is predicated by the woman kind of mm -hmm. type thing. Of course. And that's why they have to wear long skirts and long sleeves and hair up in a bun and things like that because you may tempt a man mm. by the way that you look. Mm. So, um, anyway, so I don't think that anything happened to him as far as I knew. But, yeah, I mean, life just kind of went on. We still had to go to school together. Did whatever. he still try to um, interact with you or did he just? No, I, I, I don't remember any interactions with him after that. Yeah, so it must have woke him up enough to be like, okay, we need to stop now or something. I, well, probably I with you. but Right, with me, yeah. Yeah. But I have no idea. Yeah. Um, ironically, uh, we connected on Facebook. Oh. Um, I think three years ago now, something like that. I had just seen a post that he did, a friend of a friend, and then I commented on it, and then he friended me. And I'm like, well, okay, whatever. I'm, I'm over it now, right? You know, what's the big deal? So then his job at... At the time, I have no idea what he's doing now because now I unfriended him. But anyway, it was just a momentary. <laughs> it was just lapse. a momentary, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, he was fixing like barges and stuff. And I don't know if you remember, this was a couple years ago up in Leclerc, and the barge was like stuck yeah. or something. Yeah, he came to work on that because he lives in like Wyoming or something. Mm. So he, but he came to Leclerc to work on that, and he got my phone number through. Mutual, you know, again, we grew up in this really small, tight community. And he got my phone number and called me and said, Hey, I'm in town, you know, do you want to get together for coffee or something? And I'm like, I don't know that that, you know, is my best plan. I said, You know, but we can just sit and have a conversation on the phone. I was, I remember I was sitting on the couch and my husband was sitting on, like, I was sitting on one end curled up and my husband was sitting on the other end with his phone, as usual. But anyway, he's an IT guy, so mm. he's like always connected. Yeah. So he could hear, you know, I, I just wanted him within, like, ears reach. I don't know why. I just felt like I needed that safety. Yeah, the safety there. 
So he could hear the entire conversation. And we just had a conversation, and he was just talking about old acquaintances that we knew. And, you know, when I was commenting, because I'm still pretty closely related with that um, community that we grew up in. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, a church community, and 90% of my family is still in that church. So I still hear a lot, you know. So I was kind of catching him up on some things. And nothing unusual, you know, just too people catching up on old things, you know. And then I hung up the phone and I started shaking. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I really didn't think that it would affect me. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I hung up the phone and I started shaking. And, yeah, I crawled over to my husband's side of the couch and I curled up with him. And, and I started crying. And he's like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, your <laughs> You know, I just, I, I got to cry right now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but then, yeah, but then I unfriended him on Facebook and then just kind of went on about life. What's interesting about that, among, um, I have a number of things that are interesting, but one of the things that strikes me most is how our, I, I really think our bodies have a lot of wisdom. They're very wise. Mm -hmm. And it occurs to me that yours was probably craving some other release of the trauma, right? Because right. you got, I mean, the, with that experience, shaking, crying, there's release mm -hmm. in that. Right. Because we do this thing where we go, well, this horrible thing happened to me, but it happened, and I'm over it because that mm -hmm. makes us feel like we have power back, right. right? But then there are these moments where we really reconcile with, oh, it's, I'm not over it. I mean, it's still stuck in me somewhere, right? And it right. keeps telling its messed up version of the truth somehow, and I keep buying. I mean, you can see it, right, in right. pattern all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. Does that resonate with you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, I have another story. You know, I want you to keep going. Yeah. I was going to lead you but, yeah. to whatever. So you had said, you referenced that experience then mm -hmm. um, led to some other, you said bad decisions or something along those Correct. lines. So I'm guessing that that's the next part of the story. Correct. Okay. Feel free. So, yeah, so fast forward to I'm like 23, um, living in Chicago. I was a nanny at the time, um, but then I lived really close to the Great Lakes Naval Base there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there was a bar that's like right off of the base, you know, or whatever, where all the sailors would go when they come in on leave and stuff. And so some girlfriends and I would go hang out there because, well, we didn't ever have to take money or anything, you know. We could have a nice free evening and just have fun and, you know, talk to the sailors and stuff. That was fun. And, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. You're okay. Yeah, wound up, yeah, meeting a guy. And then, yeah, it was, you know, then there was just random encounters, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, I I went along with it at the time, but then I'm, I'm, I was always, because it was just like, I was always afraid to say no. Mm. If a guy wanted to do something, I'm like, oh, but if I say no, he's not going to like me. And, and I you know, so I want to be liked. So I got to go along with whatever it is he wants to do, you know? Yeah. And then um, I moved back here to the Quad Cities in 98. And then in 99, I met a man in the checkout line at Walmart mm. who um, he, he and his friends were in line in front. This was like after Mallard's game. Okay. So it was late at night. Him and So there was one lane open at Walmart. Mm -hmm. Him and his friends were in front of me, and they were speaking French. Mm. I didn't know French, so I didn't know what, you know, but I knew, obviously, they were not speaking English, mm -hmm. but I could tell they were talking about me because they kept, like, looking over their shoulders and smiling, you know, and stuff, and I had on, like, a hemp 
necklace with a little turquoise stone in it. Mm -hmm. And he finally walked over and he's like, hey, I really like your necklace. It reminds me of home. Hmm. So I'm like, well, where's home? <laughs> well, he was from uh, Cote d'Ivoire or Ivory Coast, mm -hmm. West Africa. Mm. And we just hit it off, started talking exchanged phone numbers before we like because then it was like you know forever we finally got through the line um wound up exchanging phone numbers and a few months later we were married oh wow a few months later we were married a few months later we were married how old were you i was 27 Okay. And yeah i just so tell me what you loved about him like what made you what was the connection he was so Again, you know, I'm small town Iowa girl. You yeah. know, grew up here in the Quad Cities um, with Southern roots, and had never really traveled, had never really, you know, seen anything of the quote unquote outside world, you know, or whatever. Um, he speaks, you know, like four languages. He had traveled the world. Mm. He he was very suave, and yeah, he just totally swept me off my feet. No, it sounds super appealing. <laughs> like, as you were describing him, I'm I'm not even attracted to men, but. <laughs> If I were, I think he would be attractive. <laughs> yes, I mean, he was. Yeah. And I I honestly, I did not even notice, like, of course, I knew that he was not white, but I wasn't paying attention to that. Mm -hmm. And then it was funny. Yeah. You know, my mom, that's from Louisiana. Oh, Lord. So she's like, before she met him, she's like, so how dark is he? And I'm like, I don't know. He's not that dark. And because I just never thought in those terms, like, I just didn't consider that. And then she met him, and then afterwards she's like, well, I don't know how much darker you'd want him to be. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, From Louisiana. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So since then, um, yeah, a lot of my family still has never really recovered from that because, again, it's all down south, and I haven't really spoken to them since. Uh, my dad didn't come to my wedding. So this decision um, to love this man was a decision, it was a decision to separate from this family of origin, really, in many, many ways. Correct. Mm -hmm. That's, that, well, the first piece is, I think that that is a, for many of us, that is a milestone of our adulthood in some way, shape, or form, right? Mm -hmm. There is supposed to be that part, but the, right. but the absence of your dad at your own wedding. Uh, that was rough. Really painful. Yeah, that yeah. was rough. Yeah, but... So, but anyway, but everything was good. We stayed here until two, 2002. Mm -hmm. In 2002, though, he he didn't have a high school education, you know, diploma mm -hmm. or whatever. So he was working out at IVP mm -hmm. is what it was called at that time. Of course, not a great job. Sure. You know, it's gross. Yeah. I'm just bluntly, it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> so he didn't want to do that forever, understandably. And he had a friend in Columbus, Ohio, that said, hey, there's tons of jobs out here, and they'll hire you. You know, they don't care if you have a diploma or not. Just come out here, and we'll help you get set up. So in 2002, we went to Ohio. And it was like here, you know, I was surrounded with, you know, my mom was here, um, friends, family that I'd known my whole life, mm -hmm. you know, and everything was here. And it was like everything was good. He was nice. It was everything was awesome. And then it was like we got into Ohio, and he he changed. Huh. Um, like right away? No. It was gradual. It wasn't a, just a, you know, 180. It was a gradual thing. But it was just like he, at first he became more critical mm -hmm. of things. Um, and he'd be like, you know, you really need to start exercising. Mm. You know, and things like that. 
um, just little off the the cuff, mm-hmm. you know, remarks and things like that. And you say, and yeah, the, what he said many many times was, you know, I'm I'm just saying this, you know, for your sake, not mine, but for your sake, you know, you really should start exercising mm-hmm. and watch what you eat. That's yeah. He's very he's a giver. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. It's all about you. <laughs> Which I told him like later. I'm like, you know, when you say those kind of things to me. It makes me want to reach for the Oreos. Right. I'm just saying. Counterproductive. I'm just saying. Yes. <laughs> but he just, you know, he would kept on and just, and then gradually it became actually verbally abusive. You know, then there was name calling and, and active shaming and, and different things like that. Um, but again, I was raised in a community where you're married for life. Mm. Whether it's good or bad or it's ugly, you're, that's just what your lot, your lot in life is. So you stick it out, you make it work. doesn't matter if you're happy or not. You just deal with it, you know. So that was my mindset, you know. I'm just like, well, I got to deal with this. So I just kept on going. Um, after the birth of our first son in 2006, mm-hmm. it started getting worse mm-hmm. because I wasn't solely devoted to him. Mm-hmm. I was now spending time with the baby and taking care of the baby, and he didn't like that because he liked to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. So, and then, um, and then came one night where he honestly, I honestly don't know if he remembers this because he was uh, very inebriated Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, but he came in the bedroom, I was in the bedroom and he basically is like, you know, basically it was like, let's go now. Mm. And I'm like, you know, I need to do this. I'm not, you know, let's wait till a little bit later. And he's like, no, now. And I remember, you know, I had on a nightgown that like buttoned down to like the waist or whatever. And he just like ripped open the buttons. And he's like, I said, now, you know, and just kind of like pushed me back on the bed. Mm. And I'm like, I don't want to do this right now. <laughs> um, you know, but again, the voice in the back of my head's like, well, he's my husband. I should just let him do whatever, you know, but I'm just like, part of me is like, no, but I need to be doing other stuff right now. And it basically, I, I was kind of trying to fight him off of me because mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, this is not what I want to do right now. And he's like, you know, just lay down and be still or whatever. Mm. And he just forcibly moved me so that I was in a position mm. for him. And um, yeah, it basically at that point, it literally... I, I can still feel the feeling. It literally felt like he was ripping my insides out mm. because it was so forceful and so unprepared for. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I just, I was just laying there crying. And, you know, and I had been like trying to push him off. And then I just, I just felt that pain. It's just like, it just wiped out. I, mean, I just went limp. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, I cannot believe this is happening right now. Yeah. And again, so I just, I just kind of laid there and, and I was crying and he, you know, and he's like, oh, well, you know, are you enjoying this and stuff? And I, I was like, I couldn't even answer. No, I would imagine not. And he just got done and got off and go took a shower, you know, and stuff. And I bled for three days after that. Jeez. It was, it was brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a week or two later, He's like, well, he was kind. He's like, you know, it's he's like, it's weird. It's like you're not in the mood anymore. 
I'm like, well, you know, I, I actually found a small bit of gumption inside myself at that time. And I said, well, you know, it's a little hard for me to be in the mood when you basically just raped me. Yeah. He looked at me and he actually started laughing. He's like, how can I rape you? You're my wife. I can do whatever I want to you. Oh, my God. And he was laughing. He was literally laughing at me. Mm. I just turned and walked away. So I'm going to tell you, your story <laughs> is making me want to get in my car and find <laughs> a series of men. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So my, my husband now, Steve, um, yeah. is right with you. He, I mean, I literally had to like hold him down because he was like ready to jump in the car. And he has his concealed carry permit. Oh, so yeah. Well, mine would just be like yeah. a very angry fat woman coming at them. Is what would happen? Just be just one rage of curly haired, big ass fat woman coming at them. But man, oh, sister. Yeah. So, so you had your you, you said you that you had your first baby then, which right. means you were there longer and had a second baby. Right. Okay. Yeah, so then after this, of course, our relationship, you know, was never the same because I felt, you know, obviously totally betrayed, taken advantage of. Yes. Raped. I mean, yes. I'm sorry. That's just how I felt, you know. No, that's what happened. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It feels funny, so, I think, when it's partner, when you're right. partnered. I Well, first of all, I will yeah. tell you that every woman who discloses a rape story to me, mm-hmm. every one of them does the same thing. We do this, like... But I don't know if it really was, you know, we do this, we have a series of reasons why we don't want to use that word, or we're not right. sure if it was that, right? or our memories are a little fuzzy, and I, mm, we can just call it what it is, leave it on the table. Right. Um, and you felt that way because that's what happened. You said right. no, and that was an honor. Right. It doesn't matter that he was married to you. Right. Right. I agree. So our relationship was never the same, but again, I still had it in my head, well, this is what I chose. This is what I'm stuck with. And now we've got a baby. I really can't leave now. Yeah. You know, and then a couple months later, I found out I was pregnant again. Mm. And so I'm like, well, you know, then we're going to have another baby. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just stuck. But then after um, our second son was born, I pregnancy doesn't agree with me. Mm-hmm. It shoots my blood pressure way up. And so both of the boys were born, born about a month early mm-hmm. because I was going into toxemia, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff. So I was very sick whenever they were actually being born. And so the doctor recommended that I stayed like a couple, you know, like three or four days after mm-hmm. my youngest was born just to kind of recoup strength and energy mm-hmm. and start eating again because I hadn't really been eating. I'd been throwing up a lot and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the first night after, and again, he was early and so we weren't expecting it. So my mom's here and she's like, you know, I can come out in a couple days, but I can't be there, you know, today. Mm -hmm. So I'm out there with just him to take care of our oldest. And that night I had given birth at, it was like 4.08 in the afternoon. And around nine o'clock that night, and it was a C-section. Around 9 o'clock that night, he had gone to go pick up our oldest from a babysitter and go take him home and, like, put him to bed, you know, and stuff like that. And he's calling me, and he's like, so are you ready to go home? And I'm like, um, the doctor said I should stay three or four days to kind of, you know, recoup a little. And he's like, 
well, no, you need to come home. Don't you even care about your son? Your son is here, and he needs you to take care of him. Mm. And I'm like, well, we have another son here that I am taking care of, and can you, you know, just watch him a little bit and keep him until I can get home in a couple of days? He's like, well, no, I want to go out with my friends tonight. He's like, you know, you need to get home and take care of your son. So, of course, I was feeling guilted, and so I did against doctor's advice. You signed out AMA after a C-section, six hours after a C-section. Wow, and you're alive. <laughs> yes, but I did get a hernia. Yeah. Because, um, again, I wasn't supposed to be doing steps, but he left us there, and we were in a townhouse that was three different levels. And, of course, I have a two-year-old. He was like 18 months old at the time, and so I had to be chasing him around the house, and then I was carrying the the new baby up and down the stairs, and yeah, gave myself a nice little hernia. Rachel, what's happening in your mind or your heart in those places? Like, can you go back to those? Like, what was it? What was the... I mean, I'm listening to it, and I want to go rescue that woman, right? Right. So tell me what was happening there. Like, did you just feel resigned to, like, this is just my life? Honestly, yes. Yeah. That's... And I was just like, you know, I just have to get through today, and then I can go to sleep tonight. Mm. And then we go, I just have to get through today, and then I can go to sleep tonight. Mm. And it was just, it was literally like a day-by-day thing. And then, you know, then my mom did show up, and that helped tremendously, you know, of course. And then she was, our, you know, taking care of everything. But, for yeah, those first couple of days, it was just like... Okay, I just got to get through. This is what has to happen. Obviously, I have to take care of these boys. Yeah, because he's not going to. He's not going to, so obviously it's up to me. When your mom came, did Mm -hmm. she see what your life was like? Yeah, I think that was probably the first time that she had seen him in that mode. Mm. Because she had known the kinder version of him. Right, right. Again, my, my brother, my mom... Um, really, really liked him at yeah. first because, again, he is a smooth talker. Mm-hmm. He can charm the pants off like anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just so smooth. Um, you know, and, and appears to be just salt of the earth, wonderful, amazing person. Most deeply deceptive people are that way. Right. Very skilled at that. Yeah, right. It's like, sell it on the, front, on the front nine, right? Right. Yeah, they're really great at that part. Right. Because you have to be then. That's how right. you hook That's how you thing. hook the men. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that was the first time probably that my mom really saw that, oh, hey, he's not all that he said he was. Mm-hmm. And, um, but again, I don't know. My mom and I don't talk about like marriage stuff. I don't know why. We just, I don't know. We just don't. Hmm. We, we don't have a relationship like that. Hmm. She's my mom. I love her. She's amazing with helping me take care of my boys, you know, and things like that. But we don't have... Um, like deep conversation. Right. Yeah. Is that your mom in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say that's probably yeah. a partially generational, geographical. Mm-hmm. Her, con- I mean, just the church connection. All of those right. things would... Right. Mean, it all... Yeah. yeah. I yeah. get that. Yeah. She's my mom. And yes. so she's just always my mom. She's the person that I obey. And, you know, you know that's how I grew up, you know. Yeah. So we didn't ever have, I mean, I never remember deep conversations my mom, my entire life. It's just, it's just not our relationship. Do you feel any longing for that? Or is it just one of those things you go, well, I never had it, so I don't even know what it, what it would be like? 
Um, I think I feel a deep longing for a connection with women. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Which is probably that. Probably. Working itself out, you know? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel really, really blessed that I've had some other women that are not even related to me yeah. step up and and fill those shoes kind of type thing. Yeah. That's how that works. That's you know? awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I have that relationship, just not with my mom. My mom's just my mom. Sure. So mom came to help. Yes. And then mom had to leave. And then she had to leave and come back. And so I still stayed until um, James was almost two. But pretty much after that, after James was born, I pretty much had told him, I'm like, hey, I want a divorce. And I still remember that day we were sitting, again, we were, this is just a vivid memory, we were sitting on two ends of the couch in our living room, just having a little conversation, kind of facing, you know, kind of sitting halfway, so we're kind of looking at each other. And I said, you know, I want a divorce. And I still remember his face. It was like utter shock. Wow. He was like, and then he said the words that actually were very, you know, one of Oprah's aha moments to me. He said, you never, but you never said anything. Mm. And I said, you know what? You're right. That's on me. Because I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, again, I, my ideal dutiful wife was put up with a, whatever with a smile on my face, get up and make you breakfast and send you off to work and pack your lunch. And, you know, and that was just what I thought a wife was supposed to do and be and go along with whatever. Mm. And, and so, so it I, felt to him like a huge shock. Right. Like, right. He's just like, what are you talking about? I thought we were good. Mm. And I'm like, and, and. And I still remember in that moment, though, inside, I'm thinking, I'm like, how can you not see how unhappy I am? How can you not know? But then, again, I'm like, but he's right. I didn't ever say anything. Mm-hmm. So. Did you, um, did that realization keep you there longer, like out of guilt, maybe? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe, you know, that's why it was then, you know, another year before I actually really left. Because it was like, well, I didn't tell him anything, so how can I hold him responsible sure. for something I didn't I say? That. Yeah, you know. So maybe again, I'm still in the back of my head. Marriage is for life. I really need to try to give this another shot to try to work it out. Mm-hmm. You know. So, uh, what was the tipping point? When did you go? Oh, I'm done. Again, it just it it was to the point where it was just you know it was like a daily you know oh well. You're so fat, you know, you just need to do something. And and there was other, there was a lot of other words and, and things like that. But, you know, it was along those lines and there was other things he would attack. But um, then one day it was like he yelled at our, well, then he was almost four-year-old. And it was like, and he was talking to him. He's like, well, you're so dumb. Like, why can't you figure out, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like. Oh, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Mama bear <Yeah>. woke up. <laughs> hold on. Yeah. I might let you say stuff to me, but you are not going to say that kind of stuff to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. Mm. And so I just really did some deep thinking, and it was probably like a week or so later because I'm like, no. I'm like, for one, I'm not going to let the boys grown up 
being talked to like that. Right. For two, I don't want them growing up to think that's what a man should be. Right. And that's what a man should do. Because that is not a good example. Nope. You know, so I'm like, you know, they're going to be men one day. I need to make sure that they're they're seeing a good example of what a man is supposed to be in. That's not it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I packed, so up, packed and up and left. Hit the road. I filled. I had a minivan at the time, so I took all their clothes and toys and most of my clothes and pictures. You know, things you can't replace. Mm-hmm. I took photographs and and I we had at the time. Well, again in 2006, for the first time in my life. I had a brand new house, mm. a brand new car, and we had bought all new furniture. Mm. I never had that in my entire life. Mm. And, you know, but I'm just like, it's not worth it. Mm-mm. I'm like, I can replace all of that. Yep. So I took clothes and pictures that I couldn't replace, and I just drove away. Did he know you were leaving? No, not that day. Mm. I mean, again, I'd been talking about it. But um, I didn't tell him that day when he went to work. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew it when he left for work. I'm like, as soon as he leaves, I'm packing up the van and we're leaving. Mm-hmm. Because, again, I was afraid of his reaction. Fair. You had every <laughs> reason to be afraid of him. Yeah. Yeah. Wise, actually. Right. And, again, I didn't, you know, the boys were two and four at that time. I didn't want them yeah. in the middle of a big fight or tumble. Yeah. yeah. So you came um, to the Quad Cities? Mm-hmm. Your family's here, you said. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what was life like starting over? It was hard. Um, we stayed with my mom for a while because I had no, you know, no job or anything when we first came back, of course. Um, so we stayed with my mom, all three of us in one bedroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a little testy at first. Plus, you know, again, my mom um, is still in this church community that she goes to. And so there's no electronics. Like, no TV, no mm. nothing, no internet, no anything. They have radio. They listen to, you know, like, the Christian radio station. That's it. So, you know, that was an adjustment for the boys. Not that, I mean, again, they were two and four, so they didn't, they weren't, like, that wrapped up in TV. or whatever, And they hadn't been introduced to video games yet. But... Yeah, but a ra- just a radio. Yeah. In, in 2006, you said? No, it's 2010. 2010? That's a lot... That's a big adjustment, even if they are two and four. I mean, they had to be like, what do we do? Right. <laughs> well, thankfully, when they were younger, they still, you know, I still made sure that they played outside a lot, you know, because I'd grown up without electronics. Mm-hmm. So I I do a lot of electronics now, but I, I'm i okay with not. Yeah. You know? Sure. So um, because I, yeah, I was talking to this about it with a friend the other day. Sorry, this is a little side tangent. No, it's okay. Tangent, but... Um, we were talking about being bored, and I'm like, I don't understand the concept. Mm. I've never in my life been bored. Mm. I, I just, I, I can't wrap my mind around the concept because the world is full of so many amazing, interesting things. Mm-hmm. There's, there's always, like, my problem is I never have enough time to do all the things I want to do. <laughs> I often say yeah. I want to live, I want to, it's like I want to live three lifetimes in one lifetime. Right. Yeah, I feel that way a lot, too. Right, because I'm like, there's so much to do yeah. that I don't understand sitting around saying, oh, I'm bored. Well, get up and do something. 
So I've always been a person, you know, to like take the kids outside and let's go play and let's go to the creek and catch frogs and let's, you know, whatever, even though I don't like to touch them, I let them do that part, you know, but so they were, they were okay as far as no electronics, but it was just hard being a two and a four year old and me and we're all in one bed in one bedroom. And, you know, that was a little bit difficult. And again, honestly, I was broken Mm -hmm. inside. I was. Um, And it was actually to the point that it was making me physically sick. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was doing a lot of vomiting and things like that because Mm -hmm. my stomach was all just crazy messed up. Yep. And then, yeah, actually, we moved back in June of 2010. In October, I wound up in the hospital Mm. because I'd been vomiting, like, solidly for a couple of weeks and just couldn't stop. Wow. So talk about a physical reaction to this stress, right? Like right. your body is just trying to purge it. Right. Literally. Literally. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So but then I got better and then I needed to, I had actually started my um, green cleaning company out there. Okay. Um, after our oldest was born because I didn't want to go back to, background is of the lab tech. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go back to like 10 and 12 hour days in the hospital, yeah. you know, and stuff. So I wanted to do something that's a little bit more flexible. So I started out there. I was actually wound up meeting a man who was a mentor to me, and he's been in the business for a really long time and did really well out there cool. under his tutelage. Mm-hmm. You know, thanks to him, I still call him to this day if I have a problem. I'm like, hey, Jeff. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, he's a great guy. His wife um, is a CPA, and so she did my taxes for me. It was a perfect situation. Mm, good. But anyway, um, so when I came back to my original intent when I was in Ohio thinking about coming back, planning, and of course, I was trying to kind of make some kind of plan, I thought, well, I can either go back to Metro Lab, which is what I worked for, Mm -hmm. um, which is how I know Kathy. Oh, right. Um, You know, well, that and Marty and Eileen were our neighbors for years. Right. But anyway, um, either go back to the lab and get a job there or... Um, start the cleaning business again, you know, just in the Quad Cities. So that was kind of my game plan when I left Ohio. Well, then when I got here, again, I was sick. Mm -hmm. And so I actually got hired back on by Metro Lab, but then had to spend like a week in October in the hospital. And so Mm -hmm. they said, well, you know, basically on like the fourth day, they're like, well, if you can't come back to work, we're going to have to let you go because it was still like my probation period. I'm like, I am literally like somebody was just here from Metro to draw my blood. So, you know, I am literally laying in a hospital bed right now. I cannot get up and come to work in the morning. It's not going to happen. So there went that job. Mm -hmm. So then I'm like, well, okay, so then I'll just restart the cleaning business, you know. But I didn't, because I'd grown up in such a little bubble, is how I think of it, Mm -hmm. I didn't know really anybody in the Quad Cities besides outside of my bubble. And all of those wives, of course, cook and clean their own houses. Right. You know, because that's that's what they're they're taught. So I'm like, well, then. So now I, like, know nobody. And so then I'm like, well, okay, so then what else do I know how to do? Well, I know how to cook. So I started teaching cooking classes for the city of Rock Island over at Hallberg Civic Center and then also for Scott Community College. Okay. And that was really fun. Got me introduced to Paula Sands, you know, because I would show like upcoming classes and stuff like that. So that was just a really fun time, but not good money. Yeah. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, we can't live on this. Right. And so I was going through um, one of my really, really good friends is a medical doctor, like a family physician. Mm -hmm. 
and she's left her medical practice to basically her mission now is to help people to live healthier um, through lifestyle medicine is what she calls it. Cheryl True. Yeah. Yeah. I know know Cheryl really well. (laughs) Okay. Cheryl and I spent... Anyway, that's for a okay. different podcast, but okay. I know Cheryl very well. Yeah. I love Cheryl. I love Cheryl, too. I love Cheryl. Actually, I just, Shout Cheryl. out to Cheryl. We, if you're listening, we're talking about you. Okay. We love you. Mm-hmm. I was just texting her this morning. We were texting back and forth. She's a good lady. So she is amazing. Mm-hmm. So when she was getting her certification for life coach, she had to have like four or five, I think, yep. people in order to. So I was one of them. Cool. Yes. And um, so we're going through this, like, coaching, you know, thing or whatever. And, oh, sorry, just a little bit of backstory really quick. When I came back in 2010, um, I reverted kind of back to my old self, meaning I stopped wearing pants. I let my hair grow out. I started only wearing long skirts again and long sleeves and things like that because it felt safe. I was just going to say, you were looking for a place to belong. Right. And that's right. And I was living with my mom, you know, and so I was interacting a lot more with church people and stuff at that point. And so that felt comfortable and safe. And so and I was still doing that whenever I met Cheryl and started going through this coaching thing and stuff with her. And I remember it was week 10. And, you know, and we're not even I mean, like we've kind of talked about a couple things, but I haven't really opened up to her about a lot of stuff, you know, and she doesn't know me from Adam, you know, or whatever. But um, it was just basically like a goals, you know, kind of type thing. But then, you know, sometimes we would talk about a little bit of stuff. And then one day, excuse me, I told her a couple of things. And she was like, so when are you going to write your story? Hmm. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, who's going to want to listen to my story? You know, she's like, no, I really think you should write your story. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And so anyway, so couple weeks more go on and it was I remember it was week 10 because it was supposed to be a 12 week Mm -hmm. thing and it was week 10 and I'm in bed dead asleep and I just woke up and I actually sat up in bed I I don't know why I did this because I was asleep I just remember sitting up in bed and I actually said out loud I'm whole again oh my god Mm. and it's like just that yep. process. I'm like, you know, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And I went out that afternoon and bought capris. I love it. <laughs> I, I lost the clothes. <laughs> I did not need those clothes anymore. Right. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm okay to be me no matter what I'm wearing. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing so well. I might as well be comfortable. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Right. You know, but I'm like, I'm whole, I'm free again, I'm okay, you know, and that was just so, yeah, so I'll forever be grateful to Cheryl for those coaching sessions. It's so crazy, my world's colliding, because when I first met Cheryl, we were talking about implementing her business model, that was how we intersected, mm-hmm. but she would share stories about these people who had gone through this pilot, and <laughs> I did not know that until we sat together, but that is so incredible for so me. So funny. It's like worlds colliding. Yes. So that sounds like that was a huge part of your healing. It was. Would you totally. consider that to be, um, so that was just a turning point, and everything else from there felt mm-hmm. different. Right. Right. It's like, you know, it's like now, like I said, when I came back, I, I don't have any of the words to describe it except for that I just felt broken inside. Yeah. And then after that, it's just like I put all the, you know, all the pieces came back together 
and I feel whole again. And now I'm coming, like any situation that arises, you know, whatever, it's like I come from a place of myself mm. and so that I'm better able to react to the situation as opposed to a place of fear, yep. which is where I was before. It's so good. You know. So I don't want to, I feel like that is a very um, clear spot for us to sort of transition from the story to the last question that I ask people, unless there's something else that you want to share. Do you feel like that was solid? That was, yeah. Because I never want to stifle the story, but that um, for sort of our narrative, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that is exactly the stuff I'm talking about. It's the, Um, it's that awakening moment of, mm-hmm. well, we said it in the beginning, right? This didn't kill me. Right. So what do I do with the pieces? Mm-hmm. And um, maybe actually before I ask you the last question, say a word or two about what life is like now. The boys mm-hmm. are how old? They just turned 11 and 13. Okay. And you're so remarried? I am remarried. Yes. And to a, an amazing man. Very good. So yeah, he definitely makes me feel safe. He would have my back anywhere, anytime, any reason. Good. Good. <laughs> so. And you're um, working on develop. You're still. You have your business. You're continuing mm-hmm. to develop it locally. Correct. Um, yeah. And, and you, I also have the women's networking group. Yeah. Again, I like to connect with women. Yeah. And I like connecting women. Yeah. Like that's like what really brings me joy is bringing women together so that they can collaborate and build each other up. From with their own talents and and unique. Me too, sister. So I'm all about that. That's awesome. Yeah. So your life feels pretty full now. It does. Yeah, I'm in a good place. Hmm. So what would you say? um, You know, we have people in our audience who are surviving in the middle of surviving on the front side of it, and anywhere along the way. Um, What would you say to people? who are in that position, what advice do you have for them? You can do it. Mm-hmm. You can make it. Mm-hmm. I know <laughs> there's been some times I felt like I couldn't. Yeah. But I'm like, somehow, you know, you can always reach inside of yourself and reach out to God if that's, you know, mm-hmm. if that's your thing. Um, therapy, yeah. I think, is huge. That played a huge role for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, it was that coaching, you know, with Cheryl. I didn't go to formal counseling, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. But just finding that person to talk to mm-hmm. and bounce things off of, you know, and things, you know, so maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a, a professional counselor, you know, psychologist, whatever works for you mm-hmm. at the time. You know, maybe it's just like a really, really good friend that's very wise. Yeah. You know, but just somebody that you can share with and pour everything out and not be judged yep. for. Because, you know, that's what I felt like my whole life was that, you know, I, I felt shameful mm-hmm. um, because, you know, well, I can't complain about anything. I can't, because it's all my fault anyway. Right. Going back to the you original know, story, it's all right, my fault. It's yeah. all my fault. So whatever shape my life's in, it's all my fault. Mm. So having somebody that doesn't judge you, that just listens, you know, with a kind heart, I think is really powerful. Is there a place inside of you now that you know it wasn't all your fault? Some days. Yeah, right. I really, I had a feeling that was the answer. Mm -hmm. And the reason I wanted you to share that is because when we talk about our survival stories and we end up on the other side, I think it's Mm -hmm. easy for people who are in the middle to go, 
well, she's just got this tidy life that's tied up with a bow now, and I know that that's not how any of this works, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the trauma that we that we that we endure uh, as we walk through it, it changes us on the inside, mm-hmm. and sometimes we're able to make beautiful like mosaic out of that, right? Mm-hmm. But we're still different, and right. we still carry those things with us. And I just think right. I want the audience to have permission to know that that's normal. Right, mm-hmm. that some days you know it wasn't your fault. Not right. every, not even every day. Not even every day. I yeah. I think I don't know. Who knows where my journey is going to lead me? But I, I just kind of think that it's probably going to be an always battle. Sure. You know, it's just the way it is. Well, I'm awfully glad that you made it through, friend. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Yeah. All right, friends, that's it for our time with Rachel. As we come to the end of this season, it is getting increasingly difficult for me to put words on the summary at the end of each interview. Over and over and over, I have held space with these women who have astounded me with their courage and their resilience and their tenacity and their willingness to go to really dark places inside of themselves to be able to dig things up from there and then come back alive and bright and and full of, of life. And Rachel is one of those people. If you could be in the same space as her, you would, you would not know that she had suffered the way she had suffered. And not in a way that where I think she's being disingenuous, you know, like pretending that she wasn't in pain. Now that I know her story, I can understand that her joy came from deep suffering. And there is just no greater gift than to be able to hold space for stories like that. I am hopeful that you found something for yourself in her words today. If you loved our episode with Rachel, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to make sure that other people can find us. I'll leave some links for survivors in the show notes of today's episode. I'll also leave an excerpt from Rachel's interview on our website at www.thebeautifulproject.com. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook for all the latest in our storytelling collective. Thank you so much for joining us today and for lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.